0: Welcome to our latest edition in the GRC and Cybersecurity podcast. In today's episode of Leaders in Risk and Cyber Series, we have a very special guest, Ben Correll. So hi, Ben. Can you first introduce yourself and tell us a little about what the
1: company you work for does? Absolutely. As you mentioned, my name is Ben Correll. I've spent the last five years having the privilege to lead the cybersecurity organization for COATS. For those who are not familiar with COATS, we're a UK-based organization and the global leader in industrial thread manufacturing. We are not a recent startup. We've actually been around for about 250 or a little over 250 years. And the fun fact I'll give you is about one in every five garments that are produced will be put together with the thread that we manufacture. Fantastic. It's one of those companies that you've never heard of,
0: but is there everywhere. (laughs) So before we get a little bit further, it's always interesting to break the ice and and find out a little bit about more about what you do outside of work. So you tell listeners
1: what you get up to outside of work. So I do have a family, so husband, father, dog owner, and (laughs) asking about hobbies and stuff. And I still say that my kids' hobbies are my hobbies right now. And it's not just driving them, but it really is important for me to attend their activities. I want to be present. I want to be engaged. My work takes me away from them enough that I want to make sure that my own hobbies don't take me away even more, like going and spending three, four hours on a golf course on a weekend without them. To me, that is not worth it. So right now, my hobbies really are are still attending my kids' hobbies. But then it's how do I relax outside of work? And that's going to be the dog owner in me. I have a couple of Frenchies that I like to walk each morning, between 6.30 and 7. Just get out there uh, before the day really gets started, and I walk a mile or so with them in the afternoon. If I can make a break, I do that as well. And in the afternoons, I do like to go uh, run a 5K, uh, ride the bike outside, turn on a podcast, and learn something while I'm doing that. So that's really what helps me get away from the keyboard to relax a little bit and uh, you know fix myself mentally. And after my own heart, I've got a French bulldog as
0: well. <laughs> the amount of time I spend in meetings saying, I'm sorry, you can hear my dog snoring on the floor. <laughs> Anyone who's got French will know that. So, yeah, I mean, a massive dog lover. So can you tell us a little bit about your role? And then also, how did you get into cybersecurity? What's your pathway been? Oh, absolutely.
1: So I am currently the head of cybersecurity for Coats. That means I own all aspects of security, whether that be the governance, instant response, the vendor selection of the controls that we're gonna put out there, all the way up to reporting to the executive and the board of directors. So soup to nuts, I own everything cyber and manage the team (laughs) that, that owns all of this. But how did I get into IT and specifically cyber? I started in IT in the US military, Back in the mid 90s, I joined the Marine Corps and was a Unix system administrator. And how I really got the bug for security is I was deployed in the field managing a server and we lost the root password. And we were really struggling to get access back into it. And we ended up having to call because there was no internet back then. Uh, Could not just Google and figure out how to get in. So we ended up calling the manufacturer back in the States and the manufacturer gave us the backdoor password to get into our system. And that amazed me and that scared me. And I am a blue teamer by nature. It didn't say, oh, the Kevin Mitnick, how do I get into more systems? It was the, how do I prevent people from getting into these types of systems? So that is really what got me into IT and into IT security. And I've been focused on security since, the late 90s when I gambled and said I want to do nothing but focused on security as my career. That's where what started. And that's so far <laughs> taking care of my family and put food on the table. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that have come from a military
0: background who've ended up going into security. It seems to be, I guess, the mindset a lot of people thinking, well, well, it has to be the mindset of so many ex-military people in the US working in security. So can you talk us about I guess, the size and stage of your information security function so people can get a better understanding of where you're at. Absolutely.
1: So Coates, as a, as a company, is about a $1.5 billion organization, and we have about 19,000 employees. And I'll say that of that, we've probably got 12 or 13,000 knowledge workers, which are our factory workers. So I'm administrative overhead because I can't run a fa- the machines in our factory. So take that and you figure out about how many people that I have to to protect. And I do that with uh, a team of five and a managed SOC or uh, managed security operations or managed detection and response organization that allows me to have eyes on screen 24 by 7. And when something important is discovered, they then escalate to the internal staff that we have. And it allows us to not sit there and everything that goes bump in the network doesn't get my team to go take a look at it. So it allows us to expand our scope.
0: You said something there about a managed SOC. So how have you, I mean, some organizations are against kind of using managed services. What's your view to leveraging managed service uh, to kind of
1: augment your team? I've gone back and forth, but I will say that, you know, in the early 2000s, I worked at an MSSP, managed security services partner. So I have been in outsource security for over 20 years. I've seen the, the pros, I've seen the cons. It was all well, you can outsource everything except the security of your organization. I've built internal security operations teams and run those as well. And it really just comes down to the risk tolerance that you have. Right now I work for a manufacturing organization. We make thread. Not to say that uh, the data that we have isn't important, but it is also the risk landscape and the threat landscape that we have. This is something that we are very comfortable utilizing in external managed SOC, and not all SOCs are the same. So it really is find an organization that works best with the type of organization you are, that the culture is the same, the technology is going to be the same, that they really understand and can support you
0: so one of the other things is like i know there's no traditional place for i guess security to belong but
1: what who do you report to in the organization absolutely so i do report up through the cio you know the chief information officer and i've had a lot of people like oh man i can't believe you don't report directly to the ceo and i've reported to the ceo uh in previous organizations i've reported to the cfo and other organizations And I will say that currently me reporting to the CIO in the organization I'm at gets me the best support because I have the most engaged manager or supervisor who sets aside time, who is actively vested in the success of my program as well. So I don't report to the CEO right now, and I think I'm in a really good place reporting to the CIO because of the business I'm in.
0: So as a leader, what are the regular things that you do to make sure you are working with your team? I know you have said you work for a UK
1: company. You're based in the US.
0: How does that work?
1: <laughs> so it just means I'm flexible uh, with my time, <laughs> honestly. And it really just comes down to having routine time with key people, with key stakeholders. I try to have weekly one-on-ones with my direct reports as well. And I try not to cancel those one-on-ones. So I schedule them in convenient times. If they're in Asia, I schedule it at a convenient time, generally gonna be my evening. If they're in Europe, it'll be my early morning, so they're mid-afternoons. Again, I try not to cancel those, but then I wanna be flexible if things do come up and they need to cancel, as long as it's not gonna be too frequently. So it's important to have time. I wanna know what's going on. My role as a, a manager, as the leader is to make sure that there's as few obstacles for them as possible. So I need to be available and then work around. I am a business executive as well, not just IT executive, but business. So I understand that I, in the type of business I'm in, I am administrative overhead. So I'm here to support the business. And what that means is I set guidance, or I like to say, I set guardrails. So I define you know, what, not how, teams should operate. And that's one of the things that uh, I like to do. We just set uh, the guardrails and let the business stay inside those. And then they don't have to come and say, can I do this?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a partnership with them rather than I guess the old traditional one, which is you can't do anything. You've got to come to us for everything. And <laughs> you just end up being a blocker, not an enabler, right? I think, Absolutely. I think, I think we've all learned that that doesn't work. I mean, What you want to do is take them on that journey and let them understand what's going on. So where do you spend your time
1: most? What are the current things that are the key priorities that you're focused on? I like that, uh, priorities. (laughs) Two things that jump out first and foremost is always going to be protection and monitoring, and then realizing that things are going to go bump on the network. I think I said that earlier. And when they do, Did we detect it? Did we prevent it? So protection. And then did we see it? Do we have proper monitoring in place that whether it was successful or unsuccessful, did we see it and can we respond to it? And as we're responding, are we taking the right set of actions, the the right response? Are we working on the right things in the right way? So that's where I spend a lot of my, my time is protection, monitoring. And then I'm going to throw, I said two things. I'm going to throw out a third is that I'm going to be mentoring to make sure that my team, as they're coming along, understand how to properly prioritize. Because we can be in firefighting mode all day, every day, and never really addressing root causes and symptoms. But if I can teach them how to prioritize well, life gets a whole lot easier. Yeah, I mean, I think setting priorities, and I mean, I've got quite a few junior members of
0: staff, and it's the same thing. It's like, understand what's a priority, get it to the top, and then don't always, it's not waste your time, but focus on the low-level things. It's like, actually, sometimes you need to focus on some of those things and put them down. Um, and one of the other things that I really like, making the right actions, because it's great if you've got all this information, but if you're not really <laughs> understanding what it is and making the right actions, ultimately, like, it's not going to get you in if you've got loads of monitoring, but you, you you can't act on it. So what are you doing at the moment that you think's really working in the organization? And it's uh, kind of like a it.
1: second, the, point. Point. the
0: second bit I want to go with that is, what isn't working?
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and you want me to give some secret sauce now and uh, really uh, reveal, uh, no, no, but... As I'm working with the various teams, whether this is uh, inside the IT organization or any other business unit that's there, as risks are being presented, I like to ask the, so what? And it takes a person a a moment, whether it's an internal audit bringing me something, external audit, uh, somebody bringing me a risk, we've got to address this, this is high. And I sit there and say, so what? What's the worst that can happen if this were to occur? What's the likely impact to the business? And on the other side, what are the benefits to the business as well? I hope I'm an optimist by nature, yet I still think about the implications of the changes to the risk if something were to happen. So it's always trying to focus on the risk, the outcome, and the impact something truly is going to have Because I can sit here and say, why one of the old uh, things is rotate passwords. We rotate passwords every 30 days. Why do we rotate passwords every 30 days? Because that's how long it used to take to crack a password. Well, now people give away their passwords uh, simply in a phishing message. So do we rotate passwords every day now? Because no. What's the risk? And really, it comes down to, so what? Your password got leaked. Now what? Well, did you have multi-factor enabled? Oh, okay. Then is it really leaked? Is it really breached? So again, our, do I have compensated controls? Adding a so what factor helps us walk through these scenarios. And I think that is one of the things that we've got that's going well. And then you asked a second question, what's not going well? <laughs> yeah, I threw a bit of a curveball in for you there. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to sit here and say the messaging is not always clear. And as a business leader, as an executive, what story are you telling to the rest of the business? And the messaging has not always been clear. Where are we? What's happening? Are we reporting the right metrics? There's always room to improve there. And you end up being in front of your board or some of the executives. And you're saying, based on what I've been reporting, you've been reporting things? And it's like, oh, well, I thought I was, I thought it was clear. Then you find out that the message or the story you've been telling just wasn't clear. Whether it was you were using too much geek speak, you were just using acronyms they didn't understand. Are we being clear in our communication to the rest of the executives, to the rest of the business units? We go with another one of the difficult ones. So what are the biggest biggest challenges that you have? I mean, you sell for wider insecurity. I'll start off a little bit wider in security first, and of course, we're experiencing it as well, but it's you're never going to have enough resources, not enough people, not enough budget, Uh, so you're always going to have to prioritize. It's a blessing and a curse because it does force you to prioritize on the priorities, the top ones there. Because of those limited resources, you got to take a look at the What resources are available? Where can I hire the best talent? And this is also a a plus for the type of business I run in that Coates is so geographically dispersed that I'm not just looking in the UK. I'm not just looking in the US for talent. I can also look in other countries and hire talent there. So that skills gap that might be prevalent in the US might not be impacting me as much cuz I can hire somebody in another country as well. So those are some of the the challenges that that we're having to overcome, limited resources, never having the what I would say the the budget that I want. But you know, my counterparts in health and safety tell me the same thing. They don't have enough people, they don't have enough resources. So this is not anything that's just to you know, security teams, not just the codes, I think this is going to be something across every organization. I mean, I'm a, I'm a product, I run a product team and I say the same thing, so I don't, I don't think you're ever
0: going to meet anyone who's a leader who's going to go, yeah, I'm really content with exactly what I've got now. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't like a little bit more. So what are your biggest areas concern for this year? Um, I know there's
1: been many things with ransomware attacks. Is that your biggest concern? Yeah, so for 2022, absolutely. Ransomware is a top three concern. And if you take a look at the manufacturing companies, ransomware really has been hurting manufacturing companies for the last several years. So it's what else is coming down the line? And ransomware that was out 15 years ago is not the ransomware that's out. There's been evolutions. And I have to sit here and say, am I adequately prepared? for the current variants of ransomware as they are today? And then am I prepared for the ransomware of tomorrow? And if we take a look at ransomware, it used to be just lock you out of your files. Well, now backups uh, have gotten better. People aren't paying the ransom because they can restore their data. So now it's also that extortion. Okay. Are we prepared for that extortion? We've got uh, you know, our different use cases and everything, but what's that next evolution after that? What will it look like? And how do we make sure we're prepared for that as well? So absolutely, ransomware is one of those bigger concerns. And it also comes, you know, how do you defend against it? And <laughs> whether that be blocking a USB mass storage, whether this is email born, whether this is browser isolation, it's how do we stop it from even coming into the environment and if it does land to keep it on that one machine that got impacted, so do I have the right controls absolutely things that keep me up at night. I think it's everyone, isn't it? I mean, I remember a few years ago the
0: the Mersk shipping one, which I think was the first of the very, very big ones. I mean there's a few, but I mean, I remember like there was no ships that could be put into was it one third of the world's ports for like five days. I mean, you could kind of the impacts now on some of these big companies and what you could do. I mean, saying that you're one in five garments are used by coats. I mean, the impact if you can't produce things for a long time is could have severe impacts on the supply chain.
1: Um, Absolutely. And I just don't think people realize uh, you said earlier, you know, Coates is one of those names that you just don't, it's not a household name, but it impacts so much. It's going to be that same thing with Maersk. Uh, You've got other manufacturing organizations that are out there very, very similar. Uh, So it's uh, things that just make our lives better that when they're impacted, quickly notice how quickly things start to stink for us quickly. I know you haven't mentioned it. I
0: guess the geopolitical thing is probably, again, because of the nature of your business has made things challenging. I guess that's a concern as well. You may have factories in some of those countries. You may have
1: suppliers that work in those countries. Have you seen a lot of effect from that? Yes. So we did have to, uh, to move workers. And it's really also encouraging where you're got a company that cares enough, that is going to move those workers, they're going to pay to relocate them out of countries, and then you're sending them to neighboring countries, and you have other employees that are showing up to receive, to welcome them, to help them, to move them along as well. So that's the great thing about being uh, uh, so geographically dispersed as well, as we were able to support. And then, of course, you know, we shut down and said, you know, put controls in place. I don't want any traffic coming from this these uh, locations anymore. So we were able to put technological controls in place after we did successfully move the people that we had in place. So it's great to be geographically dispersed. You've got pros, but you've also got those cons of as things do hit turmoil, they will impact you. There are things that we've got processes to produce this thread in this one factory. This factory is now going to be, right now it's going to be shut down. Can you shift that workload somewhere else? What's your BCP plan look like? Back to doing the basics
0: well, making sure you've thought about it, and then you've got those fall over plans to kind of act on. I mean, yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, hearing that companies are doing things like that is fantastic. And especially like the kind of things where you're saying actually, where it's not just technically we're able to do it, but we're also helping people along the way. Um, In terms of 2020, 2021, a lot happened. I mean, we're not going to go, I guess, over and over the whole pandemic, but what did you learn from it and how have you applied
1: that going forward? Oh, my goodness. That's a loaded question as well. (laughs) You're getting all the good ones today. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Now, we were already a very remote, friendly organization. And I could sit here and think, Did we have, do we, and did we have any location where we just had a huge gathering of, say, the IT or the security folks? And we had broken that apart quite well. Therefore, when we did go to a work from anywhere type of environment, we were already well prepared. Our processes were there. We did have to fix a few because we were still used to people. If they're working from home for a few days and they change a password and synchronize, they'll be in the office within a day or two. So there were still some quirks that we went through. We did have to update some of our processes, but it was not, we had to redefine, redesign entire workloads or anything like that. What we did learn though, was communication. We needed to communicate a lot better, uh, communicate a lot more, and a lot more broadly, say the same message in seven different ways at seven different times in order to get people to understand it. They're not sitting in a factory anymore. They're not able to, or or an administrative office, they're not able to, hey, did you know about this? In order to really communicate well, we learned we had to say multiple ways, not just an email and try to get people to understand the changes we're making, the reasons why we're making those changes and rolling them out in a timely manner. So more communication before we make made changes. That was one of the key lessons that uh, impacted me the most uh, when we started rolling out new changes in 2020, 2021. And yeah, I mean, the amount of times I've done it myself where you send an email and you assume everyone reads it. And
0: then the next day you've already made a decision and you're like, uh, it was like, what's going on? You're like, did you not read that email I sent you? They're like. What, in the middle of those 50 other things? It's kind of like, I guess, varying your know, methods like Teams, Slack, email, webinars, whatever it needs to be like to make sure people understand these changes. Can you talk me through what skills you think make a great information security professional?
1: I like this. And I'm going to say that I really, when I'm hiring, I hire for mindset. Does that person for this role have the right mindset? So mindset, curiosity, do they have a willingness? Are they open, uh, open mindset, willingness to to continue to learn? But I'm also going to give a caveat here of, you know, what skills make a great security professional also comes down to depending on the role. And security is no longer, you know, I want to be in cyber. Great. What do you want to do in cyber? There's 15 different roles that I have when somebody tells me they want to be in cyber. Do you want to be a red teamer? Do you wanna be a blue teamer? Do you wanna be an audit? Do you wanna be a SOC analyst? What do you really wanna do? Do you just wanna sit there and tear apart malware and do code analysis? That's gonna be different mind, different skill sets than somebody who's going to be excelling at designing a security awareness program and effectively communicating that and changing people's behaviors. But when I roll it all up, does that person, based on the role that I'm hiring for, what mindset do they have? And what skills we can teach, but the mindset and that that work ethic is what I'm gonna hire them for. It's nice to have a different answer on that. I really like
0: there's a lot of different roles in cyber. I mean, I think people always assume blanket, oh, we need this certification, that certification, Honestly, I mean, I bet you've probably done some of them. Look, they're, they're quite useful, but I don't, <laughs> they're not always the be-all and end-all. If you could have one wish to solve like one security problem, what would it be?
1: If I, I could solve one thing, I really, I, I'm going to go back to what I was just talking about. And I'm going to say it's mindsets. And what I really mean by this is I want to get employees to remember that security is everyone's responsibility, not just mine. And just like with, I work for a manufacturing company, so I'm going to take it back to say, safety is everyone's responsibility inside a factory. Security of the network is everyone's responsibility. And we need to shift behaviors and think before you click. So if it was one wish could solve anything, it's going to be, people realizing there are implications to the actions that they take or don't take. And really just think before you take an action, before you plug that USB in, before you click on that link, the security. And I, I, I've gone back and forth with others uh, telling me that uh, if they clicked on a link and it blew up your network, it's you had poor controls. I get it. Technology is gonna fail, people are gonna fail. The holy grail that I want is when one fails, the other catches. So, if my technology fails, I want my people to be well aware. If my people fail, I want the technology to catch. So, again, comes back to me mindsets. And if I could solve that, we're all here together to accomplish a mission. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the mindset is such a big thing.
0: Like, especially if you in an organization like yours, if you can use the health and safety angle and say, look, it, it, you've, you've taken this mantra. You just need to apply it to the same thing because I, I guess there's a lot of when you're working in a factory, make sure you're doing X, make sure you're doing Y, and everyone just follows it, right? And if you take that same thing, which is we're not doing this to be difficult, we're doing this to help you, I think it's just making sure that they understand it's, like a, it's not just security's problem. Just don't throw it over the fence and say, there you go, we bought this thing and now fix it. You're like, really? <laughs> oh, I thought you got away with one of the questions here. We've got another one of uh, the good ones for you. So. How are you measured and what does success look like?
1: Measurements. Okay. (laughs) You you said, what's not going well? And I I alluded to something like this, but but I'm going to say, really, when you go in front, uh, I'm going to take a narrow focus here on (laughs) measurements. And so when I go in front of my executive team, uh, there's questions that they always uh, come up with. And the very first one that they're asking is, how many incidents did we have? And then they'll quantify that or clarify that. I'm sorry, and say how many major incidents did we have? And even though I've given them pre-reads, even though I've submitted already, when I say we've had no major incidents in the last quarter, you see that sigh of relief that come out comes out from that. And then we can talk about other types of incidents. We can talk about some near misses, Uh, but you know they still all of the other numbers that I, that I'm talking about you know how many times did we meet SLAs how many times did we miss OLAs and stuff like that again tlas uh three letter acronyms all of those things that that are coming out they still want to know how well the protection is how well we are responding to the threats and the risk landscape that's out there and incidents is a very real one and it's Again, I'm not causing people to attack us, but it's as they are, how well are we responding? I guess it's like all executives, like I guess it's the thing they're worried about most
0: at the moment is I don't want to be on the, (laughs) nobody wants to be in front of the newspaper at the moment with being the next person. And whether like, I guess the security people, you read into it and you understand it a lot more, but like the top level headline is never what anyone wants to read. Then it's been an absolute pleasure We invite people to come on this podcast, ask people to refer anyone. Is there any other security leader that you think we should get on this podcast? Several of them (laughs) that
1: are out there. Uh, But no, the one top of mind uh, that I talked to uh, as well, so I I can drop his name, was uh, my buddy Joe, who's the CISO over at Tango. So Joe uh, Evangelista. And uh, hey, I'm trying not to butcher his last name. But uh, again, he's the CISO over at Tango. And it's a data analytics company that that deals with real estate. So it's a fascinating type of company he works for. And he's just an altogether great guy.
0: Thank you. So look, I really appreciate your time. Can you let listeners know where they can hear from you? LinkedIn, is there
1: anywhere else where they can get in touch with you? I love LinkedIn. I try to post. I try to comment. That is by far the best way to communicate with me, to connect, to collaborate, and just to learn from each other. Fantastic. So we'll put a link
0: to that in the bio. Uh, And like you say, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely.